podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast. Buenos dias, my name is Jose Pelliser, and I'm the Global Head of Investment Strategy at MNG Real Estate. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Series at the MNG Investment Podcast. Today is the time when the real estate research team produces its biannual uh, global outlook. Um, in this occasion, the report focuses on the recovery. Everyone thinks this is a done deal, but surely it has to be more complicated than that. The second related theme of the report addresses the good old business cycle, with everyone focusing on the future of living, the future of work, the future of shopping. Is it worth remembering that change tends to happen in cycles? And in the real estate industry, um, real estate is affected by many of these cycles. In order to cast some light uh, into these issues, we have Richard William, who is the head of property research at MNG Real Estate, and Jonathan Sue, who is the head of Asia Research at MNG Real Estate. So, Rich, John, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Hello, hi. So, um, it looks like the vaccination program is underway. Um, it looks like we are uh, going ahead with an economic recovery, but is it as simple as that? In the last crisis, the recovery was pretty uneven geographically um, and also across sectors, and it took a long time. So, Rich, what do you think? Is the recovery going to be unequal, do you believe? Uh, I mean, in, in a word, yes. <laughs> the degree of hits that economies took was different. The UK, for instance, took a pretty big hit and therefore stands to, to have very strong growth this year, but partly because it's recovering from a very low base. Um, but the UK, as an example, has also been helped by a really rapid vaccine rollout. Uh, other economies around the world have been slower. Uh, within Europe, uh, there, there are differences too. So Germany and the Nordics are, are leading the charge in, in economic terms. But I believe that Southern Europe um, will probably lag its northern neighbours partly because it's that uh, they're more dependent on tourism, which clearly, even now, tourism is is very depressed in, in terms of activity. Mm. So, yes, a, a, an uneven recovery, I think. Okay. And how about in Asia? How uneven, if at all, do you see it, John? Yeah, I would say similar to what Rich has said about the UK. Hong Kong similarly did, you know, had the double whammy of the protests um, pre-pandemic. And, you know, it, it did lead to an economy that was quite depressed in terms of output and activity. And you add to that to the pandemic, which was more synchronized across the region, although not, not evenly. Uh, places like Korea were was still able to continue on almost as normal. I think Japan, aside from the three recent states of emergency, was still carrying on as normal. But I think because of the fact that they did not go into a full lockdown, it's taking a, it might take a longer while for them to recover or places that did do lockdown like Singapore should see a faster or speedier recovery um, out of this pandemic um, in 2021. 
Okay. So, Rich, you were talking about tourism and the countries that are highly exposed to tourism. Clearly, the hospitality sector and the retail sector have been hit quite severely um, by the pandemic, and the number of retailers have um you know are no more um they have gone under so um how do you feel about the recovery of the, these sectors yeah again there there's this this high degree of unevenness about it so we we've been thinking about this this um k-shaped recovery now what i mean by that is that some parts of the economy some sectors some industries etc will will actually be doing quite well even throughout the pandemic they they in some cases, actually grew. Um, so that would be the likes of tech, uh, in innovation companies, healthcare, um, larger firms more generally were, were more insulated. But within uh, the, the other uh, industries and sectors that effectively rely on the agglomeration of people, they have suffered tremendous damage as the as people have been prevented from coming together and and congregating so travel hospitality entertainment leisure bricks and mortar retail etc they they've taken such a big hit and their finances need to be repaired there are kind of long lasting scars there and as you as you pointed out some of those businesses are no more uh, so the, the the sectors those kind of sectors are unlike, unlikely to expand for a long time to come now they're clearly going to rebound from taking such a big hit but the idea of them recovering back to pre-pandemic levels anytime soon uh, I don't think that's going to happen it's going to take quite a bit longer. Okay thank you Rich and um, John in Asia do you think it is a similar trend or it depends a little bit of the individual characteristics of uh, the retail sector in different countries? Yeah, I would say you're right. It does very much depend on the characteristics of each market. So each gateway city that we do um, look at, care for, or monitor. So place city states like Singapore, Hong Kong, um, where it's largely dependent on international tourism to come and boost the retail and hospitality sector. Those will take a while longer to recover. And I think that's part of the down, down, downward K, um, where unless we really trust each other to allow, you know, open our borders freely to allow inter-regional or international travel to come through, um, those sectors are going to continue to be kind of bouncing along the bottom. Um, in Japan, you know, places like Tokyo, Osaka, and Kyoto, again, to- Japan is a, is a market where 80% of the, the travel either, you know, it's, is supported by domestic business or leisure travel. So, you know, the sectors like retail as well as hotels will continue to do well once, you know, they, they get their case case numbers down and once vaccination programs are in place. So I do believe it's quite reliant on the characteristics of each of the cities um, mm, within, mm. within the region. Yeah, exactly. And I think that in the case of Japan, it's, it's, it's a country where old habits die really, really hard. Now I would like to move to um, a topic that is a consequence of the recovery that is pretty topical right now, and that is inflation. Um, there is this um, complacency among central banks that uh, you know they're not going to rise interest rates, but in the meantime, in the U.S., uh, the consumer price index uh, went up to what was it, 3.8 or 4.2, something like that. So pretty high. So, John, how about in Asia? Do you feel that um, there are inflation risks in Asia and that some of the U.S. inflation could be imported in there? 
Yeah, certainly the U.S. inflation risk is real for Asia. Um, I think particularly for Hong Kong, where the, the Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the U.S. dollar, any movements in the U.S. interest rates is going to directly have an impact on the Hong Kong markets. Uh, I would say, you know, in, in terms of rents, um, I think APAC rents have mostly kept up with the inflation over the last 20 years. So we were quite comfortable with that. Um, and typically the, the short lease terms in Singapore and Hong Kong have done well to capture the, the up cycle when rents start to, to, to rebound, um, even though it, it has opposite effect during a down cycle. And in, in markets like South Korea, as well as Australia, there is an element of inflation link uh, written into the leases. So again, that gives investors that protection against inflation. So lastly, really on, on the yield spread. Um, so I think even if inflation does cause interest rates to go up and then push cap, you know, push borrowing costs up, there's sufficient spread. So it's around, you know, 280 basis points on average for Asia Pacific, um, to, to, as that access buffer against any rise in interest rates or borrowing costs. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that is one of the key. Um, attractions of real estate at the moment, the fact that, you know, we are offering a, a very healthy spread relative to, to, to borrowing costs. And uh, how about in Europe, Rich? Do you see inflation being imported from the U.S.? I think there is a risk of, of that, but uh, I mean, these are still distinct economies. Um, in, in Europe, the, the ECB has made pretty clear that it's intending to, to keep interest rates low, uh, ultra low for that matter, because they don't really see inflation as, as a problem. Um, now, they, they might be wrong on that, or indeed, they might be just attempting to calm the market and, and behind the scenes they might be a bit more worried but but I think the dynamics within the European economy uh, or economies are, are different to the US um, and firstly if the US has an inflation problem I think you know the likes of returning to the 70s and 80s kind of double digit inflation is is that probability seems very low but you're right there might be a, a possibility of higher inflation that we've been used to in the last few years so the impact on on property in, in that scenario could be could be limited if it's unless it's um, very high inflation. Um, but if, if you look at what, what the financial markets are pricing in for interest rates going forward, uh, they don't seem all that concerned in, in, in the UK and Europe. Yeah. And actually, you've made a very interesting point about uh, real estate and uh, how inflation affects real estate. So um, people, traditional people tend to say that um, real estate is a hedge against inflation. Um, I don't totally believe that. But do you think that um, there is some merit um, in that comment? And I think there is some merit. I mean, we, we've got to be careful that we don't assume that property is a perfect inflation hedge. If you have a spike in inflation, absolutely that does not tend to correlate with a, a spike, a positive spike in property performance. Uh, in some cases, it's, it's the opposite, or at least that's our experience historically. But if it's a, a period of prolonged high inflation, then uh, real estate uh, tends to perform far better and, and, and does offer inflation protection. So why is that? Well, it's a real asset. It offers, uh, like commodities, it's, it's tangible. It has a limited supply uh, and it offers a, a function to the users, uh, i.e. the occupiers, that the tenants therefore pay rent. And as general price levels uh, go up in the economy, rent as a price should also go up as well. Um, so 
in, in, over time, property prices, which are obviously um, determined quite heavily by the rental levels, they should stand to rise similarly. So in running some analysis in, in the UK, at least um, historically, back in the 70s and 80s, when inflation was high for prolonged periods, the nominal returns and nominal capital growth from, from property was similarly high. So over so long-term periods, uh, the, the nominal capital values tend to track inflation um, quite uh, quite closely. Um, furthermore, the inflation-linked leases can, can offer further protection. Um, clearly, if, if you've got um, your underlying cash flows uh, going up in line with inflation because of the structure of the lease, that should offer uh, that should uh, should be pretty helpful to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that there are a number of countries where that is quite explicit, but there are other countries where it is not. Okay, so now um, I'd like to move um, to um, one of the key topics of the of the global outlook. And actually, John, you've mentioned it in your um, in your previous answer. It's about cycles. So clearly, um, everybody's talking about uh, the the change in work, the change in retail. Uh, the new ways of living. But of course, very few people seem to be talking about the good old business cycle. And, you know, since um, at least I've been around or, you know, since, you know, the 20th century, it seems that, you know, economic and investment phenomena um, have always occurred in cycles. And actually, you know many cycles so so the the real estate industry is affected by a number of cycles so let me start by the development cycle which you know is the traditional um cycle that affects us as an industry um quite heavily um so how do you see the development cycle rich um in uh, in your regions um, is there a spike in development? Is there a massive drop in development? How do you see that? I mean, generally speaking, as we headed into the crisis last year, the, the development cycle wasn't really a big a big worry, uh, except in some uh, relatively isolated cases. And, and notably, the industrial sector has been for a number of years now seeing an increase in the, in the amount of supply being added to, to the market. Um, but most of most sectors generally within property, since the financial crisis, um, so a good decade or so uh, uh, following that period, the the amount of new supply being being built was relatively contained, relatively limited. So as a result of that, the, the vacancy rates that, that we saw coming into this crisis were pretty low cyclically, and that should offer some support, generally speaking, to, to the recovery as well. Okay, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. I think that lack of development finance was probably um, one of the explanations for that. And actually, that takes me to the other important cycle that um, affects our industry, which is the lending cycle. And before, um, as we recovered from the global financial crisis, that was an extremely important factor uh, that affected real estate markets. It wasn't always um, obvious that you would find finance. So how do you see the lending cycle now, John? Uh, I would say the lending cycle right now is still quite, it's still offering liquidity to real estate investors. I think especially on the core, core plus side. 
But I would say where you're taking on a bit more risk, um, the, the lenders are still a bit more shy, at least traditional lenders like banks, um, insurers are a bit more shy to, to lend to, to more speculative development. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned GFC because since the GFC in Australia, um, the banks are actually required for, you know, for, for development to, to at least get a certain percentage, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent, you know, pre-commitments before they, you know, go ahead with a loan to, for, for development for office buildings. So I think ever since the GFC, a lot of the banks um, really got their fingers burned um, are, are, have become more cautious. And that's why we haven't seen the development cycle um, go out of hand, um, as, as Rich alluded to, um, for, for Europe and UK. Hmm. And do you think, John, that um, there is any difference across sectors? So is it as easy to get finance for, an, for, a, for a fully occupied office as it is for a fully occupied shopping center? Uh, I, I would say it definitely <laughs> isn't. I think if you're looking to <laughs> okay. finance a, a retail um, I think banks, like a lot of real estate investors, are still shying away from retail assets. Um, and especially post, you know, during the pandemic, um, hotel assets are also increasingly or almost impossible to finance um, in, in many markets that we cover here. Yeah, exactly. So, Rich, the, the last cycle I wanted to touch on um, is the investment cycle. So it's it's the basically investor activity in uh, in real estate, deal flow, deal volume. Do you feel that that is back in full steam, or do you think that that's uh, fairly unequal at the moment? Yeah, I think I think it is pretty unequal. I mean, there have been some market-wide uh, characteristics as we went into the crisis. Clearly, there was heightened uncertainty, and for the whole of the of, of the real estate um, market, it was characterised by um, risk-off attitudes by investors. But within the sector. Uh, we can look at quite starkly different attitudes uh, and therefore points, if you like, in the investment cycle. So if you contrast retail with industrial, now with the industrial or logistics sector, investors are uh, are absolutely trying to to get exposure to that sector. There's a lot of competition for stock. There's pressure on pricing going upwards, and generally a sort of fear of missing out kind of attitude. This this uh, enthusiasm and, and optimism about the sector that is starkly different to attitudes in retail, where investors are really fearful. They're 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 worried about losing money. They're they're thinking about they don't want to catch a falling knife. And um and so the the the, the investment cycle for those two sectors are at completely different points. Now, coming back to the, the original uh, question at, at the start, talking about uh, cycles exist and, and it's not just about structural changes. Yes, we are fully aware of the structural changes that are characterizing those markets, but cycles will happen and cycles do turn. So it's something that we should look out for going forward is a potential turning in in the, the attitudes and the psychology of, of uh, from investors looking at those two sectors. Okay, okay, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I will um, certainly go back to a shop at some point in my life. I don't think that I will buy only online uh, from now on. Um, so, John, um, do you feel that it is it is a similar situation in Asia? And I'd like to expand a little bit the um, the question to sectors like uh, hospitality or even other sectors that are not part of the um, traditional um, um, real estate portfolios, such as, you know, um, data centers, life sciences, etc. 
Yeah, I would say in, in terms of this, the cycle, um, you know, we, we discussed this earlier. I think hotels definitely in the down cycle. Retail, it's a global phenomenon and there's structural headwinds facing retail. So again, it's in the down cycle. But I would say there are interesting opportunities emerging out of these down cycles. Again, we, we did talk about Hong Kong at length. Um, where rent, you know, in the retail and for retail high street, basically corrected by 80%. So imagine you're getting $100 three or well, not seven years ago, and now you're getting $20 in rents today. So even if that rent, you know, goes up to $30, that's a 50%, you know, increase in, in, in your rental income. And therefore, it's going to impact your value similarly. So I would say places like Hong Kong does start to look interesting um, when you look at cycles and you do expect some rebound, um, especially for retail, once things start to normalize. Okay, I think that that is um, a great way of finishing this podcast. So Hong Kong, high street retail, um, just by um, increasing to $30, 70% below what it was before, um, just still making a killing. Anyway, food for thought. Um, John, Rich, thanks so much for um, joining us in the podcast and uh, see you soon, everybody. This podcast is for investment professionals only. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode. <laughs>